the front is what everyone knows, but I mean, the inside... I think Miley what? Cyrus needs to come in like a wrecking ball. Uh, like a wrecking ball. Uh, this is the extra hot great podcast episode 267 for the week of september 9th 2019 i am cursed tiki idol david t cole and I'm here with Avocado Fitcher. Fixture, Severity Bunting. We're not doing it over. Go. Doesn't show fingerprints. Late arriving cousin, Tara Arietta. Gotta love me. And the ghost of Florence Henderson, Bobby Finger. I didn't have anything planned. Boo. Western oil is your top choice for cooking oils. Western, yes. I'm drowning in Western right now. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Extra Hot Great. Just before we get into talking about a very Brady renovation, some site business. Site business item number one. It's been in donkey's age since we talked about it, but we do want to remind you that you can buy a personal ad right here in the podcast to tell somebody happy birthday or happy anniversary or let them know that they're a jerk for $50. You just let us know what you want to say and we'll say it or you can even record your own ad. Site business item number two, a reminder that you can support this podcast by supporting us on Patreon. And there's a link in the show notes for that. If you uh, support us for any value, on Patreon, you will get access to Extra, Extra Hot Great, our supplemental podcast, which this week we're starting off our first season of Listener Game Time. So if that is of interest to you, please do sign up on Patreon to get Extra, Extra Hot Great. All right, Tara, take it away. Just a, a PS to that. It is in the show notes, but in case you don't look at those, our Patreon is patreon.com slash extra hot great. Joining us this week is Bobby Finger. Hello, Bobby. Hello, Bobby. everyone. Hi. Yay! Bobby, Bobby's here for a very special episode because it is the first time we ever threw it to you, the listeners, to tell us what you wanted us to talk about. Our mm-hmm. options were The Deuce Season 3, which we will talk about later, The Spy, the new Netflix show, and a very Brady renovation. And uh, Sarah picked a very Brady renovation, and it ran away with the poll. I think at no <laughs> point was it not beating its next closest rival by like double the percentage of uh, <laughs> votes. So we will get to Bobby in just a second as our valued guest, but I wanted to throw to Sarah first. This was your pick. Did it, it meet your hopes or expectations? It did and it didn't. Um, in case you are recently arrived from the International Space Station and are not up on what this property is, uh, the six remaining members of the iconic sitcom, which the word remaining, sort of chilling, anyway, yeah. uh, joined forces with HGTV stars to renovate the iconic real-life Brady Bunch home in Los Angeles. You may remember that there was a whole bunch of drama last year involving Lance Bass trying to buy the house and then HGTV swooped in and then uh, I don't know how much he was paid to go away quietly. But anyway, (laughs) the premise is that the um, six kids now grown uh, are going to help out and make sure that as this renovation unfolds, what they're trying to do is take the house that was the exterior and make it an exact replica of the interior, which was on 
a big sound stage that was like not analogous to the inside of this house. Mm-mm. So it's a huge job. They started prepping this shit like a year ago, according to the Chirons. Um, here's why I chose it. I don't mind HGTV product, but I'm not like a big active consumer of it. However, I am a huge Brady Bunch fan. Um, how huge? Uh, Barry Williams was my first crush. I married a guy whose last name is Brady. We just got a dog. I named it Bear E. Williams. I'm a I'm a fan, or at least attuned to its uh to its moods. Um, so I was excited about this, but I was also like, I don't know. The problem with some HGTV product is a certain lack of um or like faux creation of tension when it comes to the success or failure of a given sub project. So I liked this, but did not love it. Although I will continue to, uh, I will continue to watch it. Uh, Bobby, were you expecting anything from this? And if so, were your expectations met? My, mm, my expectations were exceeded. I mean, I, uh, one thing I was expecting Lance Bass for some reason, I thought he was involved. I thought there was some sort of, consolation prize where he didn't get the house but they were going to let him host and then i realized That's the property brothers I were thought, going to host. and then yeah they were he wasn't there so i was surprised that he wasn't there i mean i went into it until it started last night expecting lance bass to be there um but it turns out lance bass is one of those people you don't really miss so <laughs> it ended up being fine um but i i mean like you I I like I don't I mean more so than don't mind HGTV I like it I watch it semi frequently I watched the Brady Bunch a lot growing up in reruns I was I wasn't necessarily endeared to it but I watched enough to feel familiar with it um, I I guess my expectations weren't quite they were just thrown for such a loop it wasn't at all what i expected so i don't know if they were exceeded or met it was just such a different experience than what i went into and expecting because this show is about it's not about a renovation it's about a rebuild you know like once they once they acknowledge the fact that this is a ridiculous conceit and that it's insane to think that you can turn a studio set into an actual residential home with the same silhouette as the iconic structure that also they keep saying America doesn't realize it's not this house. America, re- it's, it's based on a lie. Yes. They keep telling themselves. Newborns no one are thinks like, that's the house. Their first words are that's not the same house. Yeah. No yeah. one <laughs> thinks that, but I, I mean, uh, I, I feel like I'm going along, but I liked it. I feel like it's going to grow old. I was annoyed that it's not just a two-hour special, that I'm going to have to keep watching episode by episode to see the reveals. Because you watch HDTV for reveals, whether it's which house mm. did they pick or what does the house look like now. And yeah. now I have to watch, what, six episodes of this? Wow. Yeah. I guess. I mean, first of all, Lance Bass should have been cast as like the guy who just bought next door out of spite. It's like <laughs> now like the evil neighbor character or somehow they like they half script this show. That's what his role should have been. Yeah. If they start hammering like five minutes before eight o'clock, he's on the phone to three one one like excuse me. <laughs> what I was struck by is that like this is trying to be so many types of shows at once, I guess. Like it's you have mm. Brady content, right? I'm not quite sure how you classify that. It's not obviously not a new Brady show, but it is, you know, Brady show adjacent. It's Brady reunion material, let's say. Then you have like what's supposed to be a renovation show, but you also have a decor show. And mm. if you sort of like look at this show as any one of those three things, I found it not 
totally fulfilling compared to if I just watched Property Brothers to see them renovate a house or, you know, I watched uh, American Pickers so they could find <laughs> suitable horses that looked like the one that was on the credenza. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it is more than the sum of its parts or were you sort of left like, I kind of wanted it to have more throughput, more of more oomph. That's kind of where, what I thought. I kind of felt like it was sort of flopping a bit on the dock, at least at first, because like the, everybody said about 12 times, there's two things they said constantly in this first episode. One, uh, this isn't the house. I've never been here before. I have no emotional attachment to this, which is a great way to start a show, by the way. And two, America's never going to forgive us if we don't get this right. America oh, demands perfection. Like, really? Do they? I mean, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Certainly nobody under 50 does. You know, like, it was it was a weird start to a show that could have been high energy fun and it sort of they didn't start off that way so it's sort of surprise well and also like the part that they were the most proud of which was recreating the iconic staircase um one stop saying iconic please <laughs> yeah. for a period of two to six weeks yeah two they it was not exact so after all that what's the point the the problem was is they set themselves up to be conquering perfectionists and they were so proud of some of the things they did, yet glossed over so many other things. Mm -hmm. Like they spent so much time worrying about whether the iconic staircase should either have the right amount of steps or be the right angle. And they bring in Marsha and like, they're like, all right, Marsha is your choice. America's depending on you. Make the choice. <laughs> and like, they're like, blah, blah, blah. but then like they do stuff like, well, the paint over the door is the wrong color. The door paints the wrong color. The acrylic, whatever that is over the staircase, I guess it's not a window, but just the detail is uh, not textured like the one in the photo obviously yeah. is. Mm -hmm. So they have like, as I said to Tara, when it began, they're going to cut so many corners because this is obviously just for presentation on TV. That said, what's the end game for this property? It's like, is it just yeah. going to be a Hollywood Airbnb that you have to spend three thousand dollars a night I to live in like i think it's instagram <laughs> right. i think there it'll be an hgt like it, it's instagram mecca for a little bit people will go mm. and take photos there for a few yeah. weeks a few months like because you can't live there right and all and even all the furniture seemed incredibly uncomfortable like the couch yeah. that Marsha consulted on um or maureen consulted on it didn't look that comfy and it didn't look like it was built to last. Like it kind of looked, the whole thing sort of felt cheap. And I think it's a product of um, what happens when you put on, you know, real life, the, the, when the light shines on the studio set, right? It, it looks, it looks dumpy whenever it's not lit correctly. And also the Brady Bunch is an old show shot on video. The colors are never going to match. Like we didn't see it the way that they saw it when they were filming it. We saw it on television. So, it's just not going to be the same because now we're watching it on widescreen in HD with real lights on it. So everything looks a little off when the, Oh God, see, I've only watched like three episodes of the Brady Bunch. So I don't know any of the characters name, but when soul patch <laughs> kid, Peter, Christopher Knight, who played Peter. Thank you. And was married to what's or nuts from that thing. America's next up. Thank you. <laughs> when Christopher Knight, who played Peter was in charge of finding the exact right paint color, that the house was painted when they shot the exteriors for the show. Oh, and that was just such make work. It was make uh -huh. work. But I said to Tara, why 
are they trying to find the absolute, like they're using photos from the period and things like that as reference. Like they should just be matching it to whatever was on the TV because that's what people remember. And if that color is different from what's in reality, so be it. But that is the color in everybody's mind's eye. And I feel like there were so many mismatches like that throughout the show that it kind of made me crazy that they started from uh, the wrong place for a lot of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, not that that's the point of the show, but these are the stupid little things that annoy me when I watch a show that admittedly tries to present itself as doing the absolute perfect version of it. But no, wait, Dave, sorry. You said not that that's the point of the show. What is the point of the show? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe the point of the show is to see how the cast, both the Brady's and all the renovators, how much of their energy or their soul is expended on false enthusiasm for the stupidest little things. <laughs> like, that's what I came into the show enjoying. Like, oh, it's it's just this, oh, my God, the orange grapes on the table. Thank you so much, Jared from San Diego. <laughs> like, who's doing too much? <laughs> I mean, this is sort of... I think maybe this is why my enthusiasm for HGTV shows overall is somewhat limited, which is that there are, it does seem a lot of make work scenes like this in those shows that like, I know they're trying to create suspense before the reveal, but it's like, if this didn't work out or it, you know, it worked out, but sort of in a boring way, they wouldn't have shot it or aired it. Mm, So I'm really not that invested in this process. The other problem is that I have no spatial sense. So a lot of the conversations that they're having in the first half an hour of the show are to me that they're sort of like, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. And they show the blueprint and then it leaves the screen. And I'm like, I don't know where the fuck anything is like, (laughs) yeah, here's I'm going (laughs) to stick around until they do the um, I never heard this term before. Or if I did, I'd forgotten it. But the Jack and Jill suite, which I think is a really cool it's cool. Um, but, uh, you know, legendarily, here's the other thing. Newborns also know there was no shitter in that bathroom. So I'm going to stick around <laughs> to see if they put a toilet in there. You stick your ass out the window and let it fly. That's the <laughs> now that there's a real window, you could actually exactly. do that. Well, uh, I wanted to... Par- part of the reason that we had Bobby on is not just because I knew that he is a, an HGTV fan, but because on his other podcast, Who Weekly, which he co-hosts with Lindsay Weber, he is a taxonomist of who's, <laughs> which uh, you can describe what that is. But I just wanted to talk about the HGTV stars that they did get for this show, which are Drew and Jonathan Scott from Property Brothers, Laura Spencer from Flea Market Flip, and also from recently getting canceled for basically calling Prince George gay on Good Morning America. Yes, she did. <laughs> and some other nobodies that I've literally never heard of. Mina Starjack and Karen Elaine from Good Bones. Leanne and Steve Ford from Restored by the Fords. And Jasmine Roth from Hidden Potential. Bobby, do these other people even rise to the level of who's, in your opinion? Jonathan and Drew definitely are. I think the the, mm-hmm. the, the key factor in in who's in who dumb in the who universe, <laughs> as, as we mm-hmm. discussed them, is yep. um, you can't just be you can't just be like a rando on the internet. You can't just be a rando person. You have to be someone who actually gets press attention. And I think the only people in this group who do are the property brothers and Laura Spencer. Mm-hmm. So they count, they count. The other ones really don't. They are definitely who's in the HGTV universe because they're sort of newer to the scene. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I'm familiar with the property post. I've seen a lot of those episodes. I've seen a couple of good bones episodes. Um, I've seen more restored by the Fords episodes. I don't particularly like them. There's mm-hmm. a very, a, a funny thing about HGTV is that, um, 
the couples that they have that are, you know, married couples or like Christina Almuso and Tarek Almuso of Flip or Flop, uh, they are divorced. They're almost, they don't, they don't seem very intimate with each other. There's a, there's a sort of strange, um, they have weird relationships. There's nothing mm. really sexy or close about them, but they seem like coworkers. But the weird thing about HGTV is that the siblings are a little too close. <laughs> um, and I think that's definitely the case with the property brothers. There's something alarming. I'm not, you know, saying that there's anything remotely weird going on with them, their private lives, but there's something disarmingly close about them. And it, it all, it works a little bit on their shows. I guess, and that's why people like them, and they really ham it up. Um, Restored yeah. by the Fords tone it down. They're also brother, their brother and sister, oh. uh, and it's really funny. So the Property Brothers, all of their houses look. Oh, the other thing about HGTV is it's very much like the. Um, it reminded me of the very of the Brady Bunch movie. Sorry, I'm going all over the place here. But in the very in the Brady Bunch movie, if you remember that movie, the the gag with um, Mike Brady is that he's an architect at like a contemporary LA architecture firm and he always designs the same house and it's the Brady Bunch house. (laughs) And they're like, you have to do something different. And I, and the property brothers restored by the Fords, even RIP Joanna and Chris Gaines, uh, Chip Gaines, uh, they do the exact same houses over and over again. Yeah. But there's some sort of like, there's a cool little magic to the way the shows are put together. Like they're very meticulously put together. So you like get all the steps and then you have the really pleasant reveal and then you have a house people can live in and you know what to expect, but it's fun to see the process. And this was too unwieldy. It was, it was too many cooks in the kitchen. They were all doing different things. Uh, You can, you respect the other shows because you don't really see behind the scenes. Like you, you know, they're doing all this work, but they don't have time to show you everything. And yeah. here it almost felt like, um, that season of the recent season of rest development where you knew they, everyone had different schedules, so they couldn't all be there at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That's what this show feels like. And it's really frustrating because it's like, I can forgive all of these shows, like Good Bones, Destroyed by the Forts, Hidden Potential, which I've never seen, but I've heard of Flea Market Flip, even Laura Spencer, who's canceled now. Like I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> all together it's it's too much like you watch these hgtv shows because they uh, they fill this bucket that you're craving they satisfy this desire that you have and this is something entirely new it's this weird frankenstein thing um and i it's not it's, it's not satisfying the way hgtv shows are traditionally satisfying to me uh it was interesting to watch this premiere the same week as the beverly hills 90210 reboot finale because both of those are about casts of people who uh, reached the peak of their fame when they were essentially children. I mean, granted, Gabrielle Carteris was like in her late 30s when she left 90210, but they both (laughs) were like kids, basically, um, and never kind of reached the same level of fame that they did when they were on these respective shows. And so seeing them in these weird hybrid projects is interesting because both of them kind of rest on the premise that like the audience wants to know that these performers are okay. (laughs) And so like Mm. everything else around it sort of feels like window dressing. Sarah, I know you've been watching the 90210 revival, obviously as intently as I have. Did you think about that at all? Um, I didn't. I think that's an excellent parallel that you just made. Um, And I am enjoying uh, the bits of this that like, I'm in, not, not enjoying the HGTV bits, like ever since having lived in basically a lemon for seven years, like this stuff is sort of soothing to me to just watch drywall being put up correctly. I'm like, oh, <laughs> hello, hello friends. Um, <laughs> but I am also steeped in, 
um, Brady, Brady, Anna, I guess, and those parts of it, like how they source stuff and how close they can get at recreating stuff is not uninteresting to me. But I also like just the Brady parts of it, like the interchange, like sometimes just tossed off asides amongst the quote kids being like, you know, oh yeah, like the, I remember those are like, this is where I would always sit. And they're sort of looking at the phone. I mean, I guess they don't really have to be there, but um, Tara, I think that's a really good point that there's like, there is this nostalgia um, that like that's driving, that's driving like the marketing that's driving the success of it. But I think the Brady renovation show is going to be much more successful because first of all, I think the Brady's are much wider a net mm-hmm. and yeah. second of all it, there's this hgtv underpinning that's like even if you never saw an episode in your life um then you'll still you'll still get something out of it because uh, because of the um brief of what it is that it's like here's this basically impossible engineering task that we're gonna do i right. i take dave's point though that there's like too too much yeah shit maybe bobby what do you think i think it's too well i what well i have i just i just did a quick google and i'll i'll say this at the end but i i also think it's too much and i think that to go back to the conversation about who's that we had previously that i i don't even not even sure if i answered you there's because there's really only the property brothers these other people are like second third tier hgtv people like if they had gotten christina and Tarek, if they had mm-hmm. gotten if they had brought back Chip and Joanna, Chip and Joanna. not that they would. I feel yeah. like it would have been more exciting because these people I'm I'm not as familiar with. I I'm I'm not endeared to them. I don't think of them as the all stars. It's like they tried to create HD TV adventures, but they had to yeah. settle for all the new ones. Like, <laughs> HGTV hey, babies. They're perfectly fine at their shows individually, <laughs> but it's just like I I don't really know why I'm why I'm watching this yet. I, you watch HGTV for a formula and this breaks the formula in a way that kind of changes what HGTV is all about. But having complained as much as I did, <laughs> I just Googled to see if the ratings were out and it's, uh, let me read this Hollywood reporter thing. A very great renovation scores, huge ratings for HGTV. It's, it got more rate. It got more viewers than the series finale of fixer upper. Uh, oh, wow. it says, it delivered HGTV's biggest audience in two and a half years. Like, wow. I guess it right. works. Good. They they win. Yeah. Although that was true of 90210 as well. And then they just like steadily dropped as time went on of, of the of the current revival. I mean, the other problem with this as an HGTV show, like in a vacuum from the Brady Bunch stuff is that like part of what you want to watch in this is the aspirational aspect. Like you want to see a nice looking living room. It's like, Oh, I can do that. Whereas this is like, Oh, this looks like shit. I mean, authentically, but (laughs) I don't want this. And also the, I think Sarah, you mentioned it too. Like you said, you were enjoying the, um, the sort of hunts that they would have to go on, I guess, Mm -hmm. as someone less familiar with the, the, the HGTV stuff. But, there were some all these hunts i didn't believe them they felt really artificial and there's something yeah. about there's something about uh, an actual home renovation show where they're constantly like oh these 
the water pipes we have to upgrade to copper. Like we hit a gas line. We did all these things. We got to change a wall. There's termites. Mm -hmm. All of those things are the drama in these shows. And the, and they manufactured this drama where it's like we we called 86 people or however many it was. And we couldn't find the, the, the dining set. Hopefully this is the one. And it's like if you wouldn't have found them, you would have just built it. That's exactly when I made that note. Yeah. It's like this. This isn't really a problem. Because yeah. All of these things are doable. It's like um, no, there were there was no problem too great for them, especially when they revealed that they had access to a three D printer. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, and the and the Paramount lot and yeah. all the props. Oh, like, we found it in a bin at Paramount. Okay, they had a three D printer. They could have brought the parents and Alice back. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tara, do you want to talk about the exchange we had about different internets quickly? Oh yeah. <laughs> Because because the Property Brothers are in it the most, Dave turned to me at one point and was like, do you think there's slash fiction about Jonathan and Drew Scott? And I yes. like laughed for five minutes, like, of course there is, Dave, mm, Dave. you sweet thing, you child. Welcome to the internet. Okay, so <laughs> with that in mind, this morning I put my browser in incognito mode and typed, no! in, the, <laughs> typed in Property Brothers slash fiction. Oh. Here are the first two hits I got for Property Brothers oh, slash fiction. Oh, no. uh, the first story is... <laughs> Story called <laughs> Property Nutters. Oh boy. Oh. Here's, here's a sample line from Property Nutters. No. Oh, yeah, here we go. No. Yep. Jonathan smelt of wood chipping and sweat, making Drew almost nut on the spot. And then in brackets from the author, I keep on getting their names mixed up. Are they the exact same person? What see the fuck? Okay, that's Property Nut. Second one was The Forgotten Brother. Hello, my name is J.D. Scott, stands for Jesus Dildo. You may know me or not know me as the forgotten third property brother. <laughs> Intriguing. So yes, to answer my own question, David T. Cole from 12 hours ago, there is property brother slash tradition, and it is all disturbing <laughs> and poorly written. Okay, well, uh, let's move on from that. Who's going to keep watching this show? Oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the ends. I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to watch the reveals. That's it. Yeah. Um, Sarah. I'm in. If the ratings go into the toilet, um, first of all, they can't because there's no toilet. And second of all, it won't be because of me. <laughs> nice. Oh, you're not going to ask me? Oh, uh, <clears throat> Dave, are you? I'm busy with this property of other slash fiction. Thanks for asking. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It's time to go around the dial. First stop, Tara Ariano. You thought you could get out of hearing people talk about the deuce. You're wrong, because now here it is in around the dial. But thank you to uh, the small percentage of people that voted for it in last place. The deuce is back on HBO for its final season. It's on Mondays now. Uh, when we start, it's December 1984, although New Year's Eve is the end of the season premiere. Um, before that, it is CES, which seems like a very new thing that people aren't sure totally what it is. Consumer Electronic Showcase? Is that what it stands for, Dave? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Uh, everyone in porn is attending because of because direct video sales to consumers of porn films is starting to eclipse other revenue sources. And the, the whole question of like, should a porn film have a story or might as might it just as well be a series of loops like in a peep show that's back. So that's an artistic question, but the video market is bad for our female leads in two respects. First, Harvey, the David Crumholtz character, tells Eileen slash Candy, Mar Maggie Gyllenhaal, that there's no market for the 
feminist porn that she makes on video and he's not going to finance her films anymore. Lori, the adult performer who moved to L.A. Uh, toward the end of season two, is still in L.A., still not doing great. She's just at a rehab for the fifth time uh, for cocaine. And she breaks sobriety at the end of the premiere. And the video market is driving content toward more violence, specifically, sorry, her director wants Lori's co-star to do something terrible to her with a corn cob. And another performer gets smacked in the face. This is some of the dark shit that also happens toward the end of Boogie Nights. So I assume it's historically accurate. I, unlike Dave, did not research how sick people can be. <laughs> so I'll take that uh, for granted. Um, the line is that women have more power than men in porn. Like in reality, that's something people say because they get paid more. Uh, and that is true in some respects here, but Lori is challenged to assert herself and maintain professional boundaries. But even her female agent can only support her to a point. And Eileen's vision is sold out by a friend, Harvey, who believes in her because of the profit motive. So all of that is bad. But Eileen meets a finance guy named Hank. He's played by Corey Stoll. And having watched the next couple of screeners, I'll just say I love where things go with their relationship. The two of them have really nice chemistry. Um, there are a couple of other big stories that are kind of adjacent to the adult film industry. One is about the city trying to clean up, clean up Times Square for real this time um, for real estate investment purposes and getting the cops involved in this pursuit. The Times Square Marriott is about to open and some people who work in the area are dubious about whether tourists will want to stay so close to all the sketchiness of mid 80s Times Square. But others are pretty sure the money people know something. And Alston, who is the Lawrence Gilliard Jr. character, tells Gene, the Luke Kirby guy, all about Jack Maple, which turns into Comstat. And if you haven't listened to... Um, the Crime Machine, I think that's what the two episodes of Reply All are called, that are all about the development of Comstat and Jack Maple, who started as a transit cop and all of that history. It's this, this part is real, and it's super interesting. Um, <clears throat> Gene is also visiting gay hookup spots safely, which leads us to the other big story, how the AIDS epidemic is starting to affect New York. Um, Bobby, Chris Bauer, the straight brothel operator, even he is starting to worry that he could get infected, um, which is how we learn that at this point in the story, a specific blood test for HIV still hasn't even been developed yet. Paul operates not just a classy gay supper club, but also a bathhouse, which he is trying to run somewhat safely, although pamphlets, Paul, really? <laughs> People keep taking them and throwing them away, so that's not working. And his partner, Todd, is infected, but still working as an actor. Um in a, in a play and on a soap. And there's a scene where we see him wiping off his makeup after his stage performance to show a lesion on his temple and where you think it, he's hiding it from Paul. But by the end of the episode, we know Paul knows. And in this and the other two episodes, the portrayal of Paul's love and care for Todd is really lovely. And this is roughly in the same time period portrayed in Glow season three and Pose season one. And frankly, for my taste, this story cannot be told enough. Like it's so rich and well done, and especially setting it in New York, like which was a flashpoint for so much of activism and change and horror. Like it's really well told. Um, James Franco still canceled, like Lara Spencer, which makes watching the show feel problematic. But it does sort of feel like the twin characters that he plays are kind of sidelined, or that I just don't pay attention to them. Either way. Leaving that aside, it's still a great show, and I have so much love for so many of the actors on it, and I'm kind of sad that it's ending. Dave, you watch the same screeners. What did you think? Uh, I am enjoying this third season. I will say I feel like they can cut L.A. as a setting from the show, and it might be stronger mm. for it, move yeah. some of those um, story beats, which I feel like even just repeat in New York. Yeah. We are finding everybody's sort of having a shitty time in the porn industry and and 
that she is out there in LA, it just kind of like stops things and, and then they have to restart in New York. So that'd be my, like my one suggestion, but uh, mm-hmm. a minor one, uh, yeah. still strong in it. But I feel like um, this show feels like it's coming to a natural end too. So you know, yeah. kudos to everybody for recognizing when they're going to be running out of story germane to where they started and, and calling it. Yep. Agreed. Uh, for my plug, I'm going to be on a podcast, but it's not dropping until next week. So instead, I will mention Mark and Sarah talk about songs, which oh. I'm not on it. But uh, last week's episode was about two songs from the soundtrack of Co-op, which is the company spoof from last season of Documentary Now. Such a good discussion you guys had. I loved hearing the songs Aww. again, and the songs are amazing as well. So uh, great job. And if you somehow dropped off of Mast Ass, get back on it, because that's a great one and related to this podcast as well. Thanks, Pots. Bobby Finger, what do you got? I've got the um, the Netflix original series. I think it was originally a just a Spanish television show that Netflix acquired in yep. full, and now they just have exclusive rights to it. Um, it could be wrong, but I think that's correct. It's Money Heist, Woo! also known as La Casa de Papel in Spanish, which means the House of Paper. Um, it is. It just entered its... The, the way they broke up the seasons is a little strange. So it's as a result of Netflix getting the rights and then wanting to break it down into shorter episodes. So the first part was separated into two seasons, um, sort of broken up. Uh, they released them individually, so in the midway through the first story in which these robbers are <laughs> trying to rob the Royal Mint of Spain. It cuts in half. Then you see the second half um, in part two. And then there were a couple, there was a couple year break and they've successfully, I mean, I don't, I don't really think it's a spoiler to say they were successful in season one doing their money heist. Um, <laughs> it was a group of, you know, ragtag, very typical Steven Soderbergh, you know, Let's get the gang together. Let's do the meticulous heist. And then there's some very fascinating and, uh, you know, Rube Goldbergian reveal at the end to show it was all done. But the thing I like about the show is that every episode sort of had an element of that. So every episode was sort of its solo heist movie. Each individual conflict of of, um, any given episode, I think there were maybe 10 in each season. Uh, has this very satisfying arc where the heisters get to do a little bit of heisting. Uh, You know, it's that format we're used to right now where everything ends with a cliffhanger and then you can just start again and see what's happening next they're all named after if you're watching it and you're like it's in spanish i have a hard time reading subtitles it's a show you should watch with subtitles i watched the first season dubbed i thought it was fine i watched the second season which is really the third season but i'll get back to that uh, (laughs) with subtitles and it was so much more satisfying this is always the case i don't know why i haven't learned by now dubbing is always worse (laughs) i always give it a shot i did it recently with elite which i won't get into it was so much better when i watched it um with subtitles uh but an easy thing they do is all the characters are named after uh, cities around the world. So there's Tokyo, there's Lisbon, there's Berlin, there's Denver. Someone, a kid gets named Cincinnati at one point. It's very easy to track these things. You have no excuses to not watch this if you're like thinking that Spanish makes it hard. Also, it's heisty. It's, you're used to this, this structure. Um, but the thing that's great about season two, it's technically part three. I am an idiot and I went into part three thinking that I was going to get a complete story, um, at the end of those, I think seven episodes. I think it's eight. Eight. And no, it's just like the last season. It's split in two. So they've successfully heisted the Royal Mint of Spain. 
they all went their merry ways, spending all their, you know, improbable sums of money. Like they're just extravagantly wealthy. Everything's fine. And then one of them makes a mistake and uses a satellite phone. They shouldn't. All of the world, every single um, law enforcement person in the entire world is after them. Mostly people in Spain. Let's just say everyone in Spain is after them. Uh, they capture one of them. And to get this one uh, money heister back, they decide the only way to do it. And again, you can't ask questions about this. The only way to get uh, Rio back from the government is to do another heist. And since they've already done one heist, the Royal Mint of Spain, they were like, well, we've already done the big heist. Let's do the bigger heist. The only heist left, which is the Bank of Spain, which is essentially the same thing, but it doesn't matter because the first one was fun. So why not watch them do it again? Mm-hmm. Um, they run into many, you know, hiccups. They do a little bit more with the backstory. It's told in that very like, you know, here's what's happening after the heist, let's see how they got there. Everything's very time jumpy, but in uh, an incredibly satisfying way. I did not expect to like it as much as I did, but then I realized I love every heist movie ever made, so why wouldn't I love this? Every episode <laughs> is a heist movie. Um, every episode is a heist movie. It's incredibly high production values. Yeah. It it feels like a very, very long episode of, you know, Heat meets Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, uh, totally. I, I really, really like Fine. it. Fine. I will watch it. I feel like someone is on here talking about it every two weeks. <laughs> I will watch it. <laughs> and they're doing a really bizarre, and, and the way they're heisting is, is so absurd. It's not just, it's not just gold. It's like they're melting down the gold and turning it into pellets and then they can take the pellets out, but then they're going to put them through the sewer. It's all, you know, fun tech stuff. You know, you get the gadgetry that's also hallmark of a heist thing too. But again, every episode introduces new things. Um, and it's 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 great. I can't wait for the the conclusion. And you know they're going to get away with it. They have to get away with it. I love mm-hmm. it. And it's also a ferret who also has a city name. So enjoy that. Yeah, I would also say to Bobby's point about like you can't ask questions about like why they're going to solve this problem with another heist. It's like a dance movie where it's like how we're going to save the community center. (laughs) We only know how to do one thing. It's dance battles. So it's like money heist is that. They they live to heist. It's all they can do. Although I thought season two or whatever this actually is was going to be a prison break season before Mm. we actually started it, which would sort of have the same mechanics. In a way it was. It, it, it is, but I thought it was going to be like, there is, you know, the Spanish ultimate prison and we must figure out how to heist Rio out of it. You know, that was going to be the, the through line, but this, this is also good. I'm, I'm, I'm here for more of it. You know, I'm not bored of it yet. So by all means, yeah. clone season one and have at it. When someone gets injured, they're like, oh, well, fortunately we're experts in surgery, so we can yep. do this. Like there, <laughs> there are almost never any consequences. They can just keep upping the ante every episode. It's really, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my plug. I, this is completely absurd uh this is something that i watched recently and i can't stop thinking about it it maybe doesn't belong here but if you're familiar with eva Marie martino the daughter of susan sarandon and uh tk tk martino um, no tk tk amuri i forgot his name the director producer doesn't matter it's not tim robbins the um eva martino uh pivoted from you know up and coming star and saved and nothing else into mommy blogger and she lives in connecticut and she is very fun to follow on social media. It's just Susan Sarandon's daughter who is a wannabe, you know, waspy influencer in Connecticut. And she recently made a thrilling baby announcement video uh, called, I, I believe it's called My Next Collaboration. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I want to I confirm the name. Uh, sorry. Yikes. My most exciting collaboration yet. Oh boy. Um, it's mm. great. You can go to the Happily Eva After YouTube page Ugh. and watch it. And it's it's just 
thoroughly bizarre. I've never seen anything like it. It's completely earnest. Part of me thought it was a parody at first, but it absolutely is not. Uh, it's fun. You've never seen anything like it. And it's Susan Sarandon's daughter. Who knew? Uh, we will link to that as well as your other two excellent oh, podcasts you. in the thank show you. notes. <laughs> Sarah D. Bunting. Uh, I will try to be brief. Ken Burns' country music. It's finally starting. Uh, I've watched the first episode, which drops this coming Sunday. That is the 15th. What can I say? If you like Ken Burns and you like the turbo soothing, um, a documentarian is basically reading a coffee table book to you. Construction. The average Ken Burns joint. This is obviously for you. First episode is typical and then it's packed with vintage visuals, but also it may linger too long on certain subjects and figures that Burns finds more interesting than I do. With that said, literally everyone who is alive to talk to him, talk to him. <laughs> Vince Gill, Chris Christopherson, Charlie Daniels, various Carters and Cashes and Carter Cashes, Angel on Earth, Dolly Parton, Merle Haggard, I da da da. And uh, speaking of Dolly Parton, I am never going to say a word against this property ever because it uh, ended the first episode over the closing credits playing Dolly's Mule Skinner Blues, which is just a fucking holler. It's an amazing song. If you are not familiar with it, get familiar. You will thank me. Um, that opening belt is a religion. Anyway, I'm obviously in for this entire series, as I always am. Um the fact that I use the Roosevelt's as a sleep aid is well known. Um, <laughs> I look forward to talking about it with listeners on Twitter. Once again, that's on your PBS station, the 15th. I heard if you play Ken Burns country music backwards, it slowly pans over the pickup truck you get back. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Can confirm. I can also confirm that Woo! the very first full episode of my Quaid in Full podcast will be dropping Friday the 13th. I choose to believe that that is lucky because it is. Um, this will be a relatively short episode because uh, the it is his first film. It is a Corman joint. Um, but there there is much to learn from Crazy Mama, and I have learned most of it and will tell it to you. So that is Quaid in Full. You can find that wherever you find podcasts, and you can follow it on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. So this is not a new show, but it is newly widely available on adultswim.com. So it's a chance to check it out if you haven't yet. As Joe Para talks to you. Talks with you. Talks with you. Uh, you'd be forgiven if you dismiss this sh very low-key show as another sort of adult swim experiment in concept over content, which they do a lot of. Um, but if you give it a shot, there's a very good chance that it will grow on you. It's quiet, it's unassuming, and is very leisurely paced, but that's definitely part of the charm. When we started it, I thought this was like the ultimate background noise TV show. You know, something they can kind of pay half attention to. But six episodes later, I realized that I had kind of put down my phone and was paying full attention to it and never really picked up the phone again. The show actually starts off sort of very one note in the first episode as it introduces you to uh, Joe Para. He is a teacher in a sleepy Michigan town. But episode after episode is sort of building this town and his relationships with the people up to the point where we meet his dysfunctional neighbors and his fellow teacher and romantic interest, Sarah, who turns out to be a prepper in the later episodes. And we've learned that her name is actually Sarah Connor, which is kind of a fun little thing. Um, <laughs> I do want to play you a clip from one of the later episodes in the season. Here's that clip. 
I think that from time to time, everyone wonders what it would be like to be someone else, somewhere else. Maybe I'm wrong, but I bet that even Chinese tech billionaire Jack Ma imagines what life would be like if he were Indian tech billionaire Shiv Nadar. My life is very good, and I know it's wrong to ask for anything more. But sometimes I can't help but think how wonderful it would be to work for the Alberta Canada Rat Control Program, the organization that has kept the province completely rat-free. I usually don't tell anyone, but since Sarah kept her promise not to let me fall off the back of her snowmobile, and also shared her dream that she could play French horn in the Cleveland Philharmonic, she tried but failed three times. I thought I owed her something honest and revealing. Later in that episode, the school puts on a play version of the story of the Alberta efforts against the rat population as it uh, tries to stream in from Saskatchewan. Uh, Tara, you introduced me to this show. Who is Joe Para and uh, and what did you think of it? Okay, Joe Para is a stand-up comic. Um, that is his real name. I don't know if he talks like that all the time. The show is co-created by him, Connor O'Malley, who is an amazing YouTube comedian who, after we watched all of Joe Para Talks With You, watched his YouTube. He's not just a YouTube comedian. He's a writer. He used to be a writer on Seth Meyers, but he does a lot of uh, content for online now. Um, and we watched all of that for like two hours right before bed on Sunday, which was a mistake because it's very scary. <laughs> and it's like, it's the basically... We've talked about him before. He is the guy that's a... Tr- honk if you're horny from the uh i think you should leave skit yes yes um and was a writer on that too i think he's also one of the pointer brothers from tim robinson's um episode of the characters but anyway he he and joe para and joe firestone who plays sarah connor um co-created this show and it is it is as gentle as that clip makes it sound like the first episode is supposed to be Joe Para talks with you about rocks and then he's starting to do his presentation and then people come to the door because someone has put a for sale sign on his lawn and they want to like look at his house and <laughs> try and buy it and he's like well I like, can't say no so then it turns out it ends up being about that instead um but yeah it's it's very um it's very mellow every episode is just like it's a it's a short adult swim show they're like you know just over 10 minutes um but yeah it's uh it's a delight, and I'm so glad it's coming back for uh, for season two. They apparently around holiday time, um, but yeah, it's uh, the just the moments I remembered. I forgot about the rat thing, but also um, he's like doing the dishes one night and listening to the radio, and um, Baba O'Reilly, the Teenage Wasteland song by the Who, comes on, and like he's never heard it before, and he goes crazy because he loves it so much, and he just calls every radio station in town to make them play it. And even though one of the first DJ he calls is like, you can just look it up online, but like, no, he's <laughs> making each successive radio station play it for him. It's a very silly, very gentle show. Um, and uh, yeah, it's nice. I liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. It was, it was something I hadn't seen before and uh, it's genuinely funny. I mean, you don't have to be loud and crazy in order to be funny in the show. Definitely. Yes, it. yeah. it's, it's very good hearted. It's not condescending about these characters. Um, for my plug, I just want to say that extrahotgreat.com was slightly revamped due to a thing at our host. So while I was in there fixing things, I reorganized stuff a bit. So basically we have a giant FAQ link section that's now called the Info Hub. And it is there that you can go and discover how to submit to us canons and nonacs. And most importantly, because I just burned a whole bunch of them on our listener game times, 
game time. So if you have a game time <laughs> idea, please send it our way. If you want to discuss it with me first to make sure we haven't done it or to see if we can beef it up with the help of at EHG assist, certainly do that. But the call is out there. We are running low on game time. I'm creating a couple myself, but if you have an idea, please uh, get in touch and let's make that happen for everybody. This extra credit topic is called Missing TV References and Quotes from our French Emmy, Caroline, who writes, TV used to be a unifier in terms of pop culture and quotes. Nowadays, everything is fragmented, so even within a generation, people don't share the same frame of references. Game of Thrones might be an exception. What TV show in your mind should be more of a cultural landmark for everyone? And what gifts or quotes should take over the net? And my pick is News Radio, which ah! we've talked about on the show many times. <laughs> also my pick. Uh, well, we can see how much we agree. I, I write that uh, it's hampered by the fact that it's not streaming on any subscription service. You can get it on iTunes, and we did. I also have that point. But, um, but A&E stopped airing reruns of it, which mm. it used to be part of the God, the God tier A and E afternoon rerun block. No. Two news radios, Law and Order, <laughs> Northern Exposure. We all who worked from home in the early two thousands remember it fondly. <laughs> uh, yes, that daytime block is gone, and it it went off before, um, kind of before like the meme era. So it didn't really get in on any of that juice. But God, it's so fucking funny. It had such an amazing deep bench of writing talent. A bunch of them came over from the Larry Sanders show. Paul Sims alone counts that news radio and Atlanta among his credits, just oh to give God. an idea of the range of talent that it represents. But others went on to write on King of the Hills, Silicon Valley, What We Do in the Shadows, Big Mouth, Veep, Arrested Development, and 30 Rock, among many others. And unlike any other sitcoms of the t- uh, other sitcoms of the time that I loved, uh, like Seinfeld and Friends, it has aged well in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Not the part where it's set at a radio station, which makes it feel very old, but the portrayals of relationships feels psychologically accurate and insightful. And the way that they develop Bill and Matthew in particular is very thoughtful. Those are the characters played by Phil Hartman and Andy Dick. But mostly what I felt rewatching that versus other oldish sitcoms we've rewatched recently and like I'm saying like 20 years old or less um, is that you don't have the experience on news radio of enjoying an episode and then all of a sudden there's a dumb gay panic joke friends or a man is talking about getting a woman drunk so he can have sex with her every other episode of Cheers. News radio is good. Buy it on iTunes. Dave, did you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah. If I had to like put this in a nutshell, news radio has all the same trappings as Brooklyn Nine Nine does today. Yeah, yeah. It just mm-hmm. happened too soon to really catch on in yep. a viral way on the internet. Like Jimmy James and his like carefree ultra capitalism is very memeable. Bill McNeil always trying to be on top. His love for crusty, moldy vending machine sandwiches the way mom used to make. You know, like these are all things <laughs> that should be. Uh, memed. And, you know, on top of that, you got Matthew, you got David's video addiction, you got so many things that would work with today's internet culture in the same way, in almost all the ways that Brooklyn Nine-Nine today enjoys. And I got to believe that news radio was a heavy influence on how Brooklyn Nine-Nine is, is, is structured. Not that it's the first office sitcom, but certainly it shares such a similar sensibility 
uh, to Brooklyn Nine Nine, and you know, there's characters we haven't even touched yet. Lisa's brown nosing, you know, like there's so many Mm -hmm. things about this show that would work so well today, and really like. If they could actually, somebody can get their ass in gear and find a place to stream this, like maybe it'll have a second life. Maybe it'll have a little Mm -hmm. renaissance. Certainly deserves it. It absolutely. And I will just add in terms of memes, since the day that I joined Twitter 5,000 years ago, my my bio has been, I try to be good hard worker, man, but refrigerator so messy, so, so messy. (laughs) And if you don't know what that means... Seek out just the complaint box episode of News Radio because that is where it's from and I stand by that. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is my ethos as a as a worker and a person. All right, so that takes care of me and Tara. Uh, Bobby, what is your choice for today's extra credit? Um the first thing that came to mind is a little wild, but I just I think about it often. Um again, one of those shows that I think people that that deserves either either a reboot or at least to be streaming on something. It's speaking of A&E, it's the short-lived reality series Airline, which was oh, yes! an adaptation oh, of a UK wow. reality series. And I think there's something about, um, uh, due to any number of um, security problems or you know weird regulation breaking, I can I can understand why this is impossible in 2019. <laughs> but it was a show um, based on a UK series that I guess did the same thing, but it, but and it lasted a little longer in the 90s. The American remake was two seasons on A&E and it followed employees of Southwest Airlines which is a budget airline um which at the time at the time it was more of a budget airline they've since become kind of pricey like Southwest is no longer the Southwest you know I grew up with um but at the time it was sort of like very no frills cheap as hell and it was back when gas prices were cheaper too so it was even cheaper than that had a few um locations it was like Hobby Airport um, it's one of those airlines where if a if a major metropolitan area has two big airports, Southwest was always was always at the dumpier one. You know, <laughs> like it, it was at Dulles, it wasn't at Reagan. It's at Hobby. Um, no, it's at yeah, it was at Hobby in Dallas, not DFW. Um, it was in Baltimore. It was in I guess it was in Atlanta. But the point is, every episode just chronicled the lives of airline employees and the daily hassles they dealt with i don't understand and i will never understand unless someone writes about it how they got releases from all the people who made complete asses of themselves unblurred (laughs) every single episode it was drunk people it was angry people it was and i can't imagine that anyone would be willing to um give releases to a television network today. I'm surprised it existed for two seasons, but it's, it's also a show that exists only in my memory because I can't find it anywhere unless I buy the DVDs. And like, I just, I can't be bothered. It just needs to be streaming at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. It part of me feels like it deserves a resurgence or a reboot. If only because there was something about like, there's a lesson in humanity to airline. It's, it's, it's this mirror. It's like, you, you see yourself, you see these people acting terribly to, um, people in the service industry just so easily and so thoughtlessly. And they just hold their heads up and they take it and they end up helping them anyway because that's their job. And I feel like there's something everyone can learn from airline. If not only how to be a better worker, but how not to be an asshole. Um, and I think people need to stop being assholes. Uh, it's a it's a it's a good show, and also it's funny as hell because it's yep. it's drunk people and it's rude people. It's I was Apple Care lady, but eight times an episode. You know, <laughs> it's 
It was a lot of fun. I, I watched it every week and then it just stopped. 70 episodes of this show. I, I mean, oh, I remember yeah. watching it, but I didn't realize it was. Oh, like, yeah. Ran I find long. myself like mulling over the DVD purchase every once in a while and then it's like, <laughs> eh, not worth it. Oh, three ep- three seasons. Excuse me. There were three seasons. Can I read one of the synopses here? This is episode one. Uh, sorry, season one, episode 10. A drunk needs nine police officers to escort him from the airport. That's episodes oh. one through 13. Yeah, absolutely. Overweight <laughs> customers take the armrest test. A strange complaint mm. and a flight is oversold by 53 people. Jesus. Oh. 2004. Southwest. You're just like, you're, you are just shocked by their patience every single time they like interact with someone. There are so many like small delights in TV's back catalog that would mm-hmm. do so well if they could just get them somewhere streaming for real and there's yeah. so many new services that are coming out now like i mean not that disney's going to show airline just today apple had their fall product announcement uh, fest and they were talking about their apple tv plus and they're like oh we got this show and that show and here's a new terrible a trailer for uh, the everybody's blind now show starring aquaman <laughs> and they don't realize that there's no back catalog to that service. So yeah, they're only charging you five dollars, you know, it. a month. But there's like three shows you can watch. There's no back catalog. Yeah. So start buying this sort of stuff. Like if yeah. Apple TV had airline, you might get a couple asses in the seat. Mm-hmm. It's a Good pick, Bobby. I keep thinking like there, every every transition would be like. Meanwhile, back at BWI, like it was just like very satisfying <laughs> transitions. Also, and you could make that a rock block with the restaurant, which. Oh, yes, yeah. the restaurant. So good. Yeah. I mean, That's everyone perfect. on it was so loathable. It was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Sarah, uh, I guess you're uh, going to wrap this up. I am. Um, my pick is not actually the restaurant, although I sort of regret that now. <laughs> um, it's The Wire. Mm. Um, no question. That was the first thing I thought of. And then I was like, is this, is this what I'm talking about? But the thing is, like, I feel like we who think about the culture for a living... And who are like TV critics assume that everyone knows The Wire and everyone loved The Wire. Not true. Um, I I, I quote from it all the time. Um, It's still a masterclass in construction, in Mm -hmm. trusting your audience, in um, an unpiloty premiere, in... Uh, playing a long game in subtle acting. I mean, like I quote from it every day. My brother and I have had entire conversations. I mean, partly modeled on the famous all fuck conversation, but also (laughs) just entire other wire quotes. Um, I loved the show so much that uh, I considered naming Barry Williams, Avon Barksdale. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think this show is revered, but I also think that people who haven't watched it yet, because I can attest that this is how I felt, feel like that the rest of us need to shut the fuck up about it already um, and that they'll get to it, but it's peak TV, so they don't get to it. And I get it. We are annoying about it. We wire partisans. And also there is a shit ton of TV. And also, also, if you're still watching the challenge season 481, same Z's like, I get it. You don't want to be like <laughs> eating solid fiber all the time. But first of all, this is not that. And this should have been HBO's crown jewel, I think. I mean, I love The Sopranos, but The Wire is like an amazing piece of art. 
And uh, it was always a lost leader for the network. And I think that that's a shame. Um, and I'm probably like not helping <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> by stumping for it uh, in this particular case. But I am a little surprised that that's not a more um, widely consumed and quoted and gift property. Omar alone. My president. Yeah, I think you're right that people have a, an impression of it that it's like it's very heavy and it can of course it can be but yes. there's a lot of levity to it. I mean Mad Men is maybe a closer analog than The Sopranos where it's like there's moments of surprising humor and stuff. Yeah, The Wire is yeah, good. Yeah, and it pays it you know, it pays you that way for yep. you know being there and paying attention. And it's just an amazingly rich, deep tapestry. But I think that because people who have watched it and liked it really love it and really, really want people who they like to watch this show because it's great, that it can come off. Like I was just like, it can't be that good. And then three episodes in, it's like four in the morning. And I'm like, fuck, it is that good. <laughs> and I need to go to sleep. So anyway, yes, The Wire. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as four ninety nine a month with an annual membership, and you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. It's time for the canon. Our guest, Bobby Finger, is presenting this week. Take it away, Bobby. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I <laughs> Last time I was here, I did um, another HBO show that is not my favorite. I, I love It's one of my favorite shows, The Leftovers. I did, I think, episode six of the first season, The Guest, the Carrie Coon yeah. episode. Um, but I bring that up while introducing in this episode of Enlightened, which is season one, episode four, The Weekend. Because it represents a similar moment in this series where I was all in, where I really deeply fell in love with it, and I understood what it was all about, and I understood um, the tone, I understood the journey I was going on, and um, I figured out who Amy Jellicoe is. And Amy Jellicoe is the character played by Laura Dern. If you've never seen Enlightened, shame on you, sort of like Sarah's... um, (laughs) 
<laughs> monologue about The Wire, which I haven't seen. <laughs> um, <gasps> it teaches you how to watch it. Oh, that's the most annoying thing we do. Okay, continue. My siblings tried to get me to watch The Wire for years and years and years and years. And I remember, you know, you borrow my DVDs whenever it came on a DVD. No, I'll, eventually. HBO Go happens. Now you have no excuse. You got to watch The Wire. I never did it. Um, I will eventually. Maybe this year is the year. You 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 came closer t- in convincing me than anyone else ever has. Than so. your family? Thank you. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's a quiet sort of uh, thoughtful show that's a funny, sad. It's about manic and broken and miserable people who don't necessarily deserve your support, but you know that they're trying and you can't help but empathize with them. Like that's, that's my spot. It's sort of um, whole of scenarian, I guess, in a way. Mm. Like I, I, I really love stories about these, you know, broken people who don't really deserve you to care about them. Like they've got plenty going for them. But there's this like effort. There's this. Um, I don't know. They're trying. They're trying. And I. I like stories about this. It's uh, you, you. really want them to succeed. Uh, it is about Laura Dern plays Amy Jellico, who is a woman who's just gone through a nervous breakdown. We learn this in the pilot. She spends you know her entire life savings and then some on this you know sort of hippy dippy wellness place in Hawaii. She lives in Los Angeles. When she comes back, she's broke. She's lost her husband prior. She's lost her, the guy she was seeing, who is a married man and has a wife who's like, he's not going anywhere. She has no money. She moves in with her mother, played by her actual mother, Diane Ladd. Um, So there's this tension between the two of them. And she thinks she's going to get her job back when she returns, but she does not. And uh, she basically threatens them with a lawsuit. If you don't give me something, I will sue you. They're nervous, so they give her a job in the basement. And that is where the next two seasons are set. She she works at uh, Cogentiva and doing basically data entry. It ends up being a little more nefarious, but I don't want to spoil that. The first three episodes establish this um, environment, this setting. They establish Amy Jellicoe as this this manic person who is a nightmare to be around, who is constantly preaching you wellness. She wants to make the world a better place ever since she she swam with the turtles in Hawaii. She's desperate to do her part to make everything better. Um, She's extremely optimistic, but she's also entirely over her head. Um, She's unrealistic she really has no experience doing any of the things that she wishes she could do and in episode four she kind of we kind of leave the office for the first time and we learn about her relationship with her ex-husband who was played by luke wilson and she decides that you know maybe she can return to how things once were and how things once were were happy and in love with luke wilson they got pregnant they were in love and then she had a miscarriage uh that she sank into a depression after that then their dog died in you know quick succession uh, and then they both sort of fell into addiction it ruined their marriage they divorced and then you know everything went from there she thinks that she can return to this like former glory of her earlier life and like all of Amy Jellicoe's actions, it's just a completely futile effort, and she does not handle it well. Uh, she never handles this well um, up until the end of the series. And she decides, we're going to go on a camping trip to uh, what even is, you know, it's some river outside of Los Angeles. They'd done it before. They're going to return to these glory days. 
he doesn't want to do it. She convinces him because she's great at it. And um, it doesn't go well. But I have these clips. I uh, The Kern River, excuse me. Um, and it establishes this, I don't know, the love between their character. It's not one of those shows. It's not one of those shows that is ever that ever puts them in a gray area. Um, we know from this episode going forward that they absolutely were in love. They were absolutely a right match um, before they weren't um, until tragedy struck. Uh, we always know that he cares for her. We always know that she cares for him. And I that's one of the things I really respect about this show. It's never a will they, won't they. It's never an are they, aren't they. It's not about whether or not they're in love. They're in love, but things are tough because life is tough. And he's still an addict. Uh, she's sort of in recovery, but is, you know, working on it. And I, I just want to get to the clips. The first clip I want to play, I again, I feel like I did this in The Leftovers too. I just got a little too all over the place. I think the clips will control me. The first clip <laughs> is of Diane Ladd and Laura Dern. Throughout the, the entirety of the show, they live together in the same house. Laura Dern is loving but distant, also very cold, uh, very curt. She doesn't understand Amy at all. And I think more importantly, she doesn't really... She doesn't really want to. She would prefer not to think about it. She's just like, hey, you're in debt. She's more, she's so practical. Um, she doesn't really understand what Amy's uh, deal is. And I think this clip uh, just establishes their relationship perfectly. It's clip one. Yeah, I think I'm just going to meditate all weekend. Well, when I was at the center, sometimes like three times a day, we'd do it. Why? I mean, what for? Just to stop the storytelling, Mom. You know, the compulsive thinking about yourself and your life. Just, well, good luck. (laughs) That's great. Um, The other time it uh, really establishes a relationship between two characters is in uh, clip three, which I think we can skip to now. It's a scene of Luke Wilson and uh, Laura Dern. Actually, you know what? Let's do clip two. I'm sorry. Let's go to clip two next. Clip two is uh, just very emblematic of Amy Jellicoe's uh, personality. If you haven't seen Enlightened, she's basically Renata Klein, her character Renata Klein. That, she's <laughs> Renata Klein. She's Renata Klein with money, you know? Um, sorry, uh, Amy Jellicoe is Renata Klein with money, essentially. Uh, they're the same person. When you watch her performance on Big Little Lies, you see she's just turned up Amy Jellicoe to like 11 and then you've added a few million dollars. Um, this shows how she's constantly going back and forth between her very manic energy, her out of control energy, and then this desperate attempt to be seen as in control of everything when she is in control of nothing. And that's clip two. In the river well, or near the river. You should that shit here anyway. Listen, you got... It's not a disco. Hey, gross. You got no fucking right to be going in my bag like that. What the fuck are you thinking? Can you calm down? Cause... Calm down? How the fuck am I going to calm down when you threw the shit that keeps me calm into the fucking river? Okay. What the fuck is your hey, problem? what the fuck is your problem? Hey, watch it. Hey, you watch Listen, it. I did this trip as a fucking favor to you. You know that? A okay? favor? Yeah. You didn't do me a fucking favor by spending time with me? God oh, fuck fucking you. damn you. Is everything okay? What? Yeah. Totally fine. We're just... <laughs> so that's Amy I think that is Amy Jellico in a nutshell. Um, ultimately, the show becomes about her realizing that the company she works for is an extreme polluter. They're corrupt in every way imaginable. And she decides she's going to take them down from the inside. And she works with her sort of motley crew of uh, 
castoffs who have been exiled to the basement of this building. And she thinks that she can take care of everything from down there. And also with the help of in season two, Dermot Mulroney as this, you know, muckracking journalist who might help her, might not. We're not really sure. And so essentially, Amy Jellico is this person who always thinks that she's capable of changing the world. And not just that, she's capable of changing other people, everyone in her vicinity. She kind of doesn't really focus on herself. She thinks that she can just kind of project this. And if I can change my ex-husband, and if I can change Cogentiva, and if I, Abaddon, excuse me, if I can change the planet, you know, then I'm going to make up for my inability to change myself. And in this scene, which is clip three, um, I just think it's like a, a just a, a beautifully written moment between the two of them. It's, every episode is written by Mike White. He created it with Laura Dern. Uh, where you realize the power that Amy has over everyone around her, even if you are completely, uh, I don't know, if you find her the most grating person on the planet, there is something about her that you can't help but sort of be hypnotized by. And uh, that's clip three. Don't try to save me. Okay. Why? Amy, I, I can see the way you see me. And it, Then it makes me feel like shit. It's just... It's just the drugs, Levi. No, it's not. Uh, he wants to make her happy. That's the, that's Amy's power. Uh, there's something about her. And I think that's why she's, you know, one of my favorite TV characters everywhere. You can, you can relate to her. She's a failure more than anything. She's a failure, but she's doing her best and she fucks up all the time. All Amy does is fuck up. And at the end of the second season, she finally has her win. And it's just, it's the nicest thing. And I, and I think there's, there's a little bit, um, it's bittersweet the fact that it ended after two seasons they always plan to have it have a third um which would be the um fallout of her successfully destroying abaddon um they were going to sue her she helped out with this expose that dermot roney and uh ultimately wrote in the la times uh but because it got canceled early it's allowed to be this happy ending that i'm sure it would have existed in the third season um but it's an it's a nice high point in a show that doesn't always give her a win uh i don't know very satisfying i think 18 episodes the last clip and i think the reason that i want to add it to the canon my favorite thing about this show um is that most episodes not all of them end with a very long voiceover narration from amy's character um and what i love about them and I guess I didn't really get it in the first few. I didn't really get what Mike White was doing here, but they sort of exist as these, um, these inner monologues where you, I don't know, you, what was I thinking? It's, it's the fact that like when you are, um, when you are internalizing something, there's a clarity and there's this eloquence in your head that's usually out of step to the way you represent yourself in real life and actuality. So like she's this very messy flailing person who's prone to insane outbursts um, and she's completely unpredictable. But then in her inner self, she's trying so hard to turn this peace and this calmness that she's aspiring to be uh, into her externalized self. And I, it's like, who can't relate to the fact that like everything is so much clearer in our minds than it is in, you know, in practice. It's like when you, um, 
when you fantasize about telling off someone like someone who wronged you you know and you're like yeah I'm gonna find them next time I see them I'm gonna do this like great monologue and I'm gonna leave the room and everyone's gonna cheer or if it's like a boss you hate or it's just this when it's in your fantasy the way you are going to act these closing monologues represent these inner fantasies of Amy and you see what she she really is at the end of every episode even though she doesn't always succeed she rarely succeeds at being this person it's just this really lovely way of getting into what she's actually thinking and they're always these extremely wise and articulate musings on like what it is to be alive and what it is to be a human and i'm a huge sucker for it and to make matters even better uh this episode i'm very into this like i'm into movie scores and um when when i'm working i listen to just instrumental stuff and there's this composer who is this Italian composer named Ludovico Inaudi. I'm probably butchering the Italian, but I found out who he was because his one of his songs is in the trailer for The Reader. Uh, <laughs> if you remember The Reader, yeah, he released The Reader. The, re- the Reader trailer came out and I was like, what is this music? What movie is this from? It wasn't from a movie. It was just from this like Italian composer. So I immediately like bought all of his albums and I listened to them constantly, just constantly. And this album that this one is from came out in 2010. I think this episode came out in 2013, 2012. So a couple years after the album. And I had listen to this track over and over and over again for just months. I, that's what I would have on repeat when I was like writing something or working on something or walking somewhere. I loved it. And so when it started playing and enlightened, I was like, I'm sold. This is it. This is always running through my head when I'm like, you know, you know, getting deep in thought, you know, this is the song that plays just in the, the, the stereotypical Bobby's getting deep on something completely ridiculous. And it just <laughs> happened to be what was playing when Amy was going all in on, you know, on life and loss and, uh, and wanting something more for yourself. This clip is, I think, 90 seconds long, Dave. I don't know. It might be too long, but if uh, it's, it's there, if you want to play the whole thing, you can try to escape the story of your life. You can't. It happened. The baby died. The dog died. The heart broke. I knew you when you were young. I know your heart broke too. I will know you when we are both old. Maybe wise. I hope wise. I know you now. Your story. Mine isn't the one I would have chosen in the beginning. But I'll take it. Anyway, 
right, that's the end of episode four. It's lovely. Um, I don't know. There's something about that monologue, on, and that's the case with all of our monologues on the page. I'm sure they seem very cloying and saccharine, but the 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 alchemy, I guess, of this beautiful piece of music of Laura Dern whispering. I love when Laura Dern, you know, kind of does like a loud whisper, especially when she's whispering something wise. She does it in the Little Women trailer. She whispers something wise in this like tone. <laughs> um, and then yeah, these like inspirational platitudes and that repetition at the end. I'm a sucker for it. I don't know. There's there's a lot of hope in this show. Um, I, I don't know another show that can make me laugh as hard as Enlightened does. And then at a you know a turn of the dime, it. it it really fully warms my heart in a very embarrassing way. Like this show brings out the most like uh, all of my earnestness. It just brings out like, you know, something deep inside me that you don't always want to let out. Um, and I don't know, this is the episode that that made me realize I was like in it for the long haul. And unfortunately, it only lasted two seasons, but that's enough. I watched all the time. This was a lovely presentation, Bobby. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like a I feel like a middle schooler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cried at the end of this episode too, so I know what you're talking it about. Kills me. And the, the 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 paradox of this show is that, as you say, so much of it is about Amy being a failure, but uh, but that it's also about the beauty of her trying. Mm-hmm. And every time we see her with her shitty coworkers at Abaddon, not the ones in the basement, but like the like Sarah Burns and oh, Chip Sarah Aspen, Burns, like yeah. the one, yeah, the ones upstairs who are so nasty and awful to her. It's like at least she's trying to do something better. She's not just narcotized like these people are. Of like, you know, I've got mine. Fuck everyone else, which is always how you feel when you watch them. But this, it, it is interesting to see this episode take her outside of the office for the first time because. As you say, she's tr- she's trying to recreate like maybe the last time she felt truly happy. happy. Yeah. And we see her like she as she's narrating it, we see her like walking to wherever they were going to camp and, you know, in her wide leg jeans. And then she suddenly <laughs> says, I'm pregnant and we know she doesn't have a baby. So it's like, oh, God, like, yeah. the story's only going to get horrible from here. And it does. It's a terrible story. And, you know, the the way that Amy narrates it is very low key, but. Like this is this is tragic. This is where her life changed for the worse. Um, after this, after this beautiful golden weekend that she still remembers so fondly, that she's willing to like get on the phone with Levi and basically like I have in, in my notes invite him on this rafting trip <laughs> yeah. in huge air quotes because she just like I bought the tickets. In, in her classic Amy way is like, we're going. She like, he, it's not even that she's ignoring him saying he doesn't want to go. Like she, it's like he, he doesn't penetrate her. He doesn't, she doesn't even hear it to ignore it. Um, so yeah, the, the, where it goes off track where she, she goes into his bag, I think to like find his pillow or something to when she's setting their tent up and then she finds like he has a baggie of drugs. And then it's, you know, you don't know the flavor of where it's going to go wrong here because you, you can never tell how she's going to react. And like, it's, it's, it does seem like she thinks she can drop, she can ditch the stash and just like hope he won't ask about it. And then that would be fine. Like it would have the same effect if, if he didn't confront her about it, but just was mad at her like secretly to himself. But, if, you know, he doesn't, he does confront her. Um, and then like, it just gets so ugly. And then like, now this is the memory that's going to replace the other memory for her. When she thinks about the Kern river, she's going to think about this ugly time that she had with Levi, because 
Like she just refused to see who he is now and what he wants and what he doesn't want from her. And so like, there is so much hopefulness, you're right. But like the the tragedy of her story is how much heart, more extra heartache she brings on herself by like, just by trying. And at the same time, the show doesn't make you think the trying isn't worth it. Yeah, I think I think that's the message of the show. Yeah, it's it's worth it. Yeah. So this is this is a lovely episode. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm so biased because I love the show, too. But this this was great. And I was I was happy to watch it again, even though it's, you know, it's it's very wistful and sad. So yeah. thank you, Sarah. <laughs> um, there's a like the last um, eight to ten minutes, I would say, is really this tour de force performance i think from luke wilson like laura dern is a national yeah. treasure and um i will always say that and defend it as a concept um but his like there's this moment where she's like they're excusing themselves from the campsite she's like we're gonna go get some drugs for him and then they you know they're in this motel and he like his rendition of like that slowly more and more amped up reminiscing and then you cut to him. She sort of wakes up and it's dawn and he's clearly just sitting there like grinding his teeth and coming down. And he says, uh, want to fuck? And there's like a fucking novel in how mm-hmm. weary um, and unconvinced and reluctant to even open his mouth and communicate with her. Uh, like there's just so much in that room. And I just wanted to give him credit i mean i have known and you know i'm sure we all have since royal tenenbaums that he is capable of just bringing this whole weather system of sadness with him um at times i don't i don't think he gets enough credit luke wilson generally um and that whole sequence was pitch perfect i'm still not sure how i'm going to vote though and here's why i'm not a regular watcher of this show And I'm always interested when people nominate it for the canon because it does seem like such a cumulative um, experience and like that there are certain, I mean, there's certain shows that you're like, how do you like cut a slice of this, you know, showstopper creation um, and, and nominate that for the canon versus sort of the entire uh, build to various points in the show it's it's hard to like just take out one slice because when you look at um this presentation and also sort of the comments that uh tara and bobby have been making about it it's sort of more about the like you know arc of justice in this particular universe um (laughs) yeah then this particular episode um so i'm not i'm not sure like i i will say this is like a little bit this is uncomfortable enough that my usual um one of my usual metrics which is did i want to watch more of this like (laughs) no like sometimes laura dern you're just like i i love you girl and i hope you get all the money and i just need to not look at your beautiful face (laughs) (laughs) because you just make it horrible sometimes in the best way but i mean you guys know what i mean um her and her line delivery of we can be free of our sad stories was just like talk about a novel <laughs> like yeah. even she has stopped believing it by the time she gets to the word of it's so funny yeah. um so yeah great presentation great episode great performances but mostly for the reasons that i said about this being one of those like i don't know what term we have for this like um 
whole gr- much greater than some of the parts whole masking some of the parts um shows like i'm just not sure how i'm gonna go but uh thank you for bringing it to us and over <laughs> to dave i think uh your, your your unwillingness to like press the next episode button you know keep in mind you would have to wait a week you'd have a week to uh reconcile <laughs> <laughs> during the original run of enlightened yeah you'd have a week to recover yeah, normally to recover, yeah. um one thing nobody mentioned is the, the funny moments of this episode there is a uh the mother is um has conscripted her amy to help in the garden <laughs> and there is a tops topsoil face of resentment moment which is extremely funny it's just laura dern making <laughs> this is exasperated oh i'm helping in the garden face which was kind of laugh out loud funny which is uh <laughs> was you know a rare moment in this episode but uh still really well done you're talking about the tragic backstory where um her unborn baby dies and their dog dies and i was like oh no not another dog you know after the high maintenance uh, episode we talked about oh, God, six months yes. ago. I was like, oh, please no. But they handled it, <laughs> I feel, to my satisfaction, which is quickly and, and then <laughs> on to other things, which made me think, is there a dog dying trigger website? And sure enough, there is. It's doesthedogdie.com, which is not really updated. Yep. But uh, uh, there's a lot of truth in the way Amy is trying to live her life while not trying to bury her past tragedies but just trying to reconcile that with where she's moving forward i remember back when we used to live in hawaii me and my friend we would drive out to the other side of the island for some derby events and my friend is a person who had similar tragedies in her life and the kind of conversations that kind of when we get down to it she was talking about this i would talk about you know my mental health issues and stuff and just the way that you sort of forced to sort of pick up and move on but sometimes you just don't really know where or how that's going to go it's not aimless but it's uncertain and i felt that same sort of nervous unsure energy in this episode that reminded me of those conversations here's a show where in previous canons we had the very cathartic burn it down episode is that the one with the sort of that's it yeah yeah, the carnage at the end yeah that's it yeah Mm -hmm. and and this one which is almost like the polar opposite which is where you're at the nadir and this one's sort of like you know the other one we're dealing with the catharsis to you know living a life that didn't really go the way you wanted and feeling that weight that that you are waiting for the world to sort of hand you something that you know karmically that you may feel you deserve not i'm i can't get in amy's head on the karma stuff but like you know, when does it get better for me? When do I pick up and get back to the life I feel like everybody else is enjoying? And for me, this episode really nailed that feeling. It took me back to the mm-hmm. conversations I had just about dealing with um, sort of disappointment and sort of like where you thought you would be as an adult. And sometimes you don't feel like an adult, you know, sometimes it feels like everybody else is adulting and that you're sort of 18 year old and, you know, 47 year old body kind of situation. <laughs> and I feel like this episode really nailed that, even though as, you know, as a product is really depressing and there are a <laughs> lot of great performances, you know, and it's just all in service of this, this, shitty place that you're in in your life where you just don't know how to um how to rebuild how how do how do you help yourself 
get to the place where, you know, you can rise above where you are right now. And I felt like this, this sort of really captured that treading water sort of, um, experience of, of, of being in that place in your life. So, um, not the cheeriest of episodes, not the most amusing <laughs> of enlightened episodes that we've seen, but certainly very powerful episode. So, uh, with that, shall we put this to the official vote? Yeah. Tara Ariana. Uh, it made me cry. So yes. Yay. <laughs> Sorry, <do you> <laughs> um, I'm going to vote. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's good work. <gasps> Wasn't yeah. fun, but this- good work. Yeah, I'm going to say yes to this is totally not the kind of show that I would usually watch. But every time I do watch it, I'm struck by the the genuineness of the emotions and the earnestness of, of everything that's going on. So with that, let's make it official. Oh, my God. <laughs> this means that Enlightened Season 1, Episode 4, The Weekend, you are hereby inducted into the extra. Hot Great Cannon. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time to hear about the winner and the loser of the week. Sarah DeBunting has this week's winner. I do. It's me. The real life inspiration for Bosch is developing a true crime series that is going to focus on cold cases. I am excited. Um, I am slightly concerned because the uh, production company... Um, is uh it says on deadline quote makes shows such as hitler's circle of evil which like uh, sure. um but i i choose to remain optimistic and uh who is our loser well it's richard gear so th- this is just the latest of uh, what happened today was that uh disney plus was going to have a muppets tv show that was developed by josh gad and then today they were like just kidding so that's dead but Apple TV had already done that last week with a show starring that was to have starred Richard Gere. It was titled Bastards. And here's what would have happened in it. It's adapted from an Israeli format. Picked up straight to series late last year. Bastards was set to star Gear as one of two elderly Vietnam veterans and best friends who find their monotonous lives upended when a woman they both loved 50 years ago is killed by a car. Wait. Their lifelong regrets and secrets collide with their resentment of today's self-absorbed millennials, and the duo then go on a shooting spree. Great. Yeah, I wonder why who that guy wanted came. to watch this show ever, but second, yeah. like, who, who asked? Who asked? Like, took it over and was like, oh, God, absolutely not. So, um, I mean, bad news for Richard Gere, but, like, he'll be fine, and the world is a better place without that show. I feel confident. Yikes. Uh, speaking about bastards, you know what time it is? <laughs> it's faster time. It's Game time. time. Welcome back to Game Time. This is the seventh Game Time of the season. Season scores. Tara 3, Sarah 2, Valued Guests 1. Today we are playing In the Pond from Lauren, Ooh. who earns herself an extra credit topic this game features characters from tv shows that eventually found their prince or princess i will read you the name of three failed love interests those are the frogs and you will get one point each for naming the show in question who's in the pond looking for love and who is their eventual princess or prince here's an example i'll read you the three frogs jack Berger. 
Aiden Shaw, Alexander <laughs> Petrovsky. Oh. Bobby. What's that show? Sex and the City. Who's in the pond looking for love? Oh, Carrie. And who was Carrie's eventual prince or princess? Uh, big. That, that would get you three points, and that oh, is excellent. how you play this game. <laughs> now, Textbook. you it, can ask for one hint, and I'll let you pick which of the three answers you want to hear, and then you can try to guess the other two for a point apiece. Okay. And that's basically it. So, Tara, please, steel meal situation. I have three steel meals. The end. Very good. Let's throw it to Picky to see who is going first. We will start with Tara. All right. Our order today, Tara, Bobby, Sarah. Are we ready to play in the pond? Ready yes, to play. Yes. All right. Tara, your frogs, Dennis Duffy, Wesley Snipes, Drew Baird. <laughs> the show. That's Liz. The show is 30 Rock. Who's in the pond? Liz Lemon. And who is Liz Lemon's eventual prince or princess? <laughs> Chris Cross. Chris Cross. And that is good <laughs> for all three points. On to Bobby Finger, <laughs> Matthew Crawley, Kamel Pamuk, Sir Richard Carlisle. Oh, that's um, down, down to Nabby. That's Downton Abbey. Yep. Who's in the pond? I have no idea. I um uh uh is it uh, so it's is it is it a uh, Michelle Dockery? Well, we need the character. Wait, the character. Oh. Uh, Who's in the pond? I, I do not know her character's name because I never watched Downton Abbey. I just know those characters' names. <laughs> All right. So can I guess that you don't know the eventual prince there either? I do not. Okay. Uh, we were looking for Lady Mary. Okay. And we were Is looking that for... Michelle Dockery? Yes. Yes. You, had, you were right. Just you needed the character's name. And we were looking for Henry, the eventual prince. Uh, okay. All right. Sarah D. Bunting, your first question. And you may or may not get this. Noah Hunter, Ray Pruitt, Joe Bradley. The show, the person in the pond, the person they found love with. Uh, the show is Beverly Hills 90210. The seeker is Donna Martin. And uh, she graduated to David Silver. <laughs> <laughs> that is good for three points. Back to Tara Ariano. Yes. Stacy Carosi or Carosi. Mm-hmm. Tori Scott. Laura Benton. Um, I'll take the hint, please. I mean, the show, show. Saved by the Bell. Okay, I'm going to guess that the seeker is Zach Morris. Uh, and that he, I think, ends up with Kelly Kapowski. You are correct, and that is okay. two points. Back to Mr. Finger. <laughs> we have for you Denise Huxtable, Suzanne Taylor, Kinu Owens. The show is The Cosby Show. Oh, God. Oh. That it's is incorrect, a... but you can still pick up the other two points. Okay, okay. So we have Denise, Suzanne Taylor, and Kinu Owens. Yeah, it's a different world. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm also, I, I guess I'll just take the hint for this one. All right. Do you want uh, the... Uh, Pond or the prince? Oh, the pond. The pond. Dwayne Wayne. So who oh, is Dwayne, Dwayne Wayne. Wayne's eventual prince or princess? Oh my god! I'll accept the first name. Uh, of the character. Uh, 
I am not going to get this, so I'm just going to give up. <laughs> We're looking for Whitley Gilbert. Whitley Gilbert. Whitley Gilbert. Okay. All right. Back to Sarah D. Bunting. Luke Ward, Alex Kelly, DJ. Um, can I have the show, please? The show is The O.C. So who dated or had relationships with Luke, Alex, and DJ? I, yeah, never watched a frame of it. Don't know. Don't know any characters' names? No. Looking for her. Marissa Cooper, who eventually ended up with Ryan Atwood. Great. Good Tutar. for them. Kim yes. Briggs, Danny Sullivan, Molly Clock. Uh, the show is Scrubs. The seeker is JD. And he ended up with Elliot. Okay. You are correct in all three accounts. Back to Bobby. Okay. Your frogs. Jan Levinson. Donna Newton. Helene Beasley. Can I get the show name? The show, The Office. I never watched The Office either. I'm terrible at this. I am not going to get any of these. You don't know any <laughs> characters' names from The Office. I know Michael. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a terrible... Another blind spot. Great. All right. And Michael ended up with Holly. Holly Flats. Uh, okay. All right, Sarah D. Bunting. Yeah. Spencer. Paul Jenslinger, Russell Schiller. Um, can I have the show, please? The show is New Girl. Spencer, Paul, and Russell from the New Girl. Is it Jess? <laughs> and she winds up with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We were looking for Nick McMiller. Oh, him. Back to Tara. Christopher Hayden, Max Medina, Jason Digger Styles. Uh, this is Gilmore Girls. Lorelai Gilmore. And she ends up with Luke. <laughs> <laughs> correct answer, correct tone. Yeah, thank you. Back to Bobby. Okay. Neil Cassidy, Walsh, Graham Humbert. Um. Ah, uh, can I have the show name? The show, Once Upon a Time. So is the uh, is uh, are we looking for? Is there a are we are we looking for a <laughs> Snow White? There's a Snow White in there. Is she one of them? Is she looking? Uh, that's not the character I, name provided. So you know, maybe she <laughs> I have I have no idea. Okay. No one knows. No one no here knows. All right. The character was Emma Swan. She might be Snow White for all I know. Um, She's not. Oh, my God. She's not. Emma Swan ends up with Captain Hook. Sure. Yeah. Sarah, yeah, that sounds us. right. Here are your frogs. Andy Dwyer, Mark Brandanowitz, Tom Haverford. Can I hear the first one again, please? Andy Dwyer. Andy Dwyer. That did not help. Show name, please. Parks and Rec. God damn it. Yeah. 
Andy Dwyer, Mark Brandanowitz, Tom Haverford. Leslie, nope. <laughs> Leslie, nope. I don't know. We were looking for Ann Perkins, who ended up with Chris Traeger. Everybody's last question before our first score break coming at you, starting with Tara. Yep. Buckley, simply Buckley. Sure. And here's one I'm hoping I'm going to get somewhere in the ballpark. Rad Thibodeau. Mm, okay. Trip Larson. Show. King of the Hill. Uh, hmm. Luann? I have zero idea who she ended up with. Though. Yeah. Lucky Kleinschmidt. Good sure. old Lucky Kleinschmidt. No. Sounds the good. intercourse Kleinschmidt. <laughs> but you got your one point. All right, Bobby, here we go. Rachel Berry, David Karkovsky, Eli C. Rachel Berry, I, that's Glee. I know that's Glee. So Rachel Berry, David mm-hmm. Karkovsky, Eli C. All of those characters were... Oh, I don't know if, um, so the person, the, I, I, you can still burn your clue. I, I, oh, I, then I'll burn. Who's the one that they're, go, that they're going after. Okay. The one that is in the pond is <laughs> Blaine Anderson. Blaine Anderson. So who did Blaine Anderson end up with? Oh, I thought it would, is he Corey Monteith? Uh, I'm just going to say Rachel because that's the character I know. Uh, Kurt Hummel. Yeah. Kurt Hummel was the answer. We were uh, okay. All right. This is our last question before the score break. Sarah D. Bunting, Erica Hahn, Lauren Boswell, Penny Blake. Penny Blake. Hmm. Um, can I have the show, please? Gray's Anatomy. And I'll accept first names for most of these answers for the uh, character. Okay. Um, so oh. Erica Lauren Penny, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Dreamy. I don't, I've never seen that show either. <laughs> Incorrect. We were looking for Callie Torres, uh, who ended up with Arizona Robbins, which is not uh, a <laughs> real name. Okay. Score break show. time. Okay. Um, well, I have 12 points. Sarah has four points. Bobby has three points. All right. <laughs> Let's get right back into it. No equalizer challenge zone city because we are running long. Tar Ariano. Yes. Rose Tyler. Joan Redfern. Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, I think this is Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, the Doctor. Who ended up the with possibly end up with the only other name that you didn't say is river song <laughs> oh my god tara wow gross well done. three points all right this is question Sorry. 17 the spread eagle <laughs> for bobby cooper selden barry allen ray palmer i'm out of hints aren't i no you get you get one hint every question Oh, oh, oh. Then uh, then I'll take it. What's the show? The show is Arrow. Oh. Mm, it's not what I would have guessed. This is... No. If I may. 
I think a, you yeah. would, a lot of you would get one more point now and then if you didn't take the show as the hint, if you took a character, which you brought back to the I show. I never know the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know where to begin. You don't know I, the show? I, I think no. I got it. No, I don't know it. Anybody? I don't know any of the shows. Some broad. I don't know anyone yeah, on that some show Some broad either. named Felicity Smoke. Oh, okay. Uh, sure. Who ended up with the uh, with Oliver Queen, who is Arrow. Yeah. The titular Arrow. Serenity Bunting. Yes. Cordelia Chase. Here we go. Willow Rosenberg. Faith something. Did Faith had a last name? No. Doesn't matter. Faith S. <laughs> Cordelia. All right. First of all, what's that show? Uh, that show is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right. So we got Cordelia, Willow, and Faith. All had a relationship of some sort with... With Xander? Hey! Who ended up with... Okay, but he... I mean... Well, okay. He didn't. Don't, don't get too but, literal. All right. Anya. Correct. Yeah! All right. This is... Question... 19 and it is for Tara. Yep. Dr. Charles Roberts, mm-hmm. Grant Hill, mm-hmm. Evan Ennis. Um, who is the seeker? I'll take your advice. Khadija James. Nope. <laughs> Dave. No. Uh, my hint structure I, yeah. would work for many other shows, but this one is um <laughs> might be out of your uh, jurisdiction. All right. Well, I heard a doctor, and I know it's not Gray's, I think. So I'm going to say Bones. Missing pieces of information we're looking for was the show Living Single, The Prince, Terrence, Scooter Williams. Okay. All right, Bobby, back to you. Okay. Your frogs are Clark Kent. (laughs) Oh. Jimmy Olsen and Doomsday. Wow. Somebody gets around Doomsday. (laughs) All right. So Clark Kent, Jimmy Olsen, and Doomsday, all from what show? Is it... Uh, how many Superman... Is it Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman? Or is it... Well, then, I don't know. Is it Lois and... Is it Lois Lane? Oh, my God. Sorry. I thought you were going to get a point there. Uh, we were looking for Smallville. That was Chloe. Oh, right. There's another one. Yeah. Oh, we don't, we don't recognize Look, Bobby, Smallville there's always in this another house. one. <laughs> Uh, no, no. It's only Lois and Clark. <laughs> Smallville, Chloe, and Oliver Queen making a repeat appearance, but not the same one. Oh, right. The other Oliver okay. Queen. That who? Back to, let's see, Sarah D. Bunting, mm. Jason McAllister, Danny G. McCullough, Chad Berry. Jason McAllister? Jason McAllister, yes. Danny McCullough, Chad Barry. Good one, Chad. Good one, <laughs> Chad. Um, can I have the eventual mate, please? The eventual hey. mate, Scotty Wandell. Scotty Wandell. Ah. Okay, well, I think there may be a factual error in this one, too, but that's fine. I think the show is Brothers and Sisters. Hey, and the character is the guy from the Americans. Shit! Why can't I remember his name? Kevin. <laughs> That's yeah! good for two. There were a couple. 
that people put in the same one. I did look this one up on Wikipedia, and all those those three do check out to very uh, yeah. Degrees. Sorry, I got the um, I got the surnames confused of the various families, so there was right. not an error. As always, too many Scots. Tara Ariano, <laughs> yes. Mandy Hampton, uh-huh. Amy Gardner, Joey uh. Lucas. Oh no! Which one of them was it? It's the West Wing. Mandy of Mandyville, I assume. Yeah. Amy Gardner, Joey Lucas. Okay, is it? Oh my God, is it Sam? It Fuck. Is not. It is in fact. Well, I'm not going to give you the answer, but who do you think? Uh, it's Josh. If it's not Sam. So then, if you think that, give us our third answer. He ends up with. Oh, with um, what's her face, Donna? You are correct. You didn't nice. get it. You got nice two safe. points out of that, but you uh, successfully connected the dots for your Donna Moss point. Hooray. Bobby Finger. <laughs> Rosario Salazar. Okay. Stuart Lamarck. Bjorn Stevenson. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need the show name. The show is Will and Grace. You can throw out a character name. You might you might strike gold. Ooh, Jack. Okay. Hey. There's your point. Any <laughs> idea who Jack ended up with? Jack didn't end up with Will. Jack ended up with I, I have no I have no idea. I have no idea. Anybody know that? Leslie Jordan? Leslie, Beverly Gloria. Leslie? Estefan Gloria, according. Oh, oh, in the new show, right. All right, Sarah D. Bunting, get ready for a lot of mispronunciations here, probably. <laughs> Neat. But I don't think you're going to need too many hints. Duncan Kane. Okay. Tosh Pinarski. Pisnarski. Leo D'Amato. Oh. Uh, the show. That is Veronica Mars. The character. It is Veronica Mars. Ended up with. <laughs> oh. Pieces sm- of. Old smithereens. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Spoiler. Uh, nice. Tari Ariano. <laughs> yes. Casey Pearson. Sure. Josh Daniels. Okay. Cliff Gilbert. This feels like sports night. Damn. Still can use then one of your hands. Oh, okay. Who's the seeker? The seeker is Mindy Lahari. Lahiri. Sorry. It's Lahiri. She and... I think she's single at the end of the show, but she was with Danny for a while. Well, we'll give you that, sure. Okay. Bobby Finger. Simply Hector. Paxton Curtis. Aiden Walker. Mm, the sh- what's the show? The show is How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't watch that, that one either. Story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, never going to get these uh, names then. Connor Walsh, Oliver Hampton, or your other answers. Sarah D. Bunting, Greg Stenson, David Sherman, Noel Crane. His last name was Sherman? Okay. David um, Sherman. All right. Thanks, Picky. Uh, Sherman. This is Felicity. Of Felicity. Okay, I'm going to ask for a last name on Felicity just for level of difficulty. Porter. Thank you. <laughs> Who are you talking to? I and know. Uh, she ends up with Ben Covington. You are correct in all three. Yeah, she does. All right, Tara, your last question for the second score break. Okay. Evan Chambers. Yep. Max Tyler 
and Shane. I feel like I know. Oh, Evan Chambers. That's Greek. Uh, I think the girl's name is Casey. Casey Cartwright. And she ends up with, what the fuck was his name? It's the guy from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Ah, I can't remember his character name. Captain Cappy John Paul Cappy. Jones. Sorry, Man, Joe. Evan Chambers, Max Tyler, and Shane. Those are three choice frat names if ever I heard them. Well, that's Greek. Yep. Bobby Finger. Here I ben am. Ben Coogan. Mm-hmm. Maya St. Germain. Samara Cook. Ben Coogan. Guess what? I need the show. All right. Your show, Pretty Little Liars. I That's not going to happen. Bobby Finger watches No TV. Emily Fields and Allison were our answers. All right. Our last question. No idea. Of our second round for Sarah. Andy McPhee, Tamara Jacobs, Audrey Liddell. Oh, my God. Tamara. The show is Dawson's Creek. The seeker is Pacey Witter. And he ends up with little Joey Potter. You are correct. <laughs> That's what it says on her driver's license. All right. Let's get our scores. Better. Everybody has four questions left. Okay. Sarah. Uh, sorry. Bobby has four points. Sarah has 18 points. I have 20 points. All right. Ooh. This is where Bobby makes it all back. I can feel it. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. In my head. I'm Amy Jellico. I can do anything. <laughs> Poor Tara. Yeah. Dennis Chambers. Yeah. Professor Chavez. Uh-huh. Adam Alvaro. Uh, I feel like I should know Professor Chavez, but I don't. What's the show? The show is Jane the Virgin. Oh, duh. <sighs> I only watched every episode. Okay, then that is Jane. And she ends up with Raphael. Correct. Who's also known as Michael? Or is that just like two characters or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. He Yes, he got amnesia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's Jane the Virgin, guys. Okay, um, correct for two points. Okay. Bobby, Leslie Winkle, P. Rakuth Rapali, Stephanie Barnett. Uh, may I have the show name, please? Big Bang Theory. <laughs> um, is is Sheldon an answer? It, it is an yes, answer, but it's the incorrect one. No. Oh, okay. Okay. We were looking for Leonard. Who ended up with? Oh, I didn't even remember who the other guy was called. Nobody <laughs> remembers who the guy's called. <laughs> There's no Young Leonard show. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Alice Pisecki, Candace Jewell or Jewel, Jody Lerner. Oh. I feel like I'm gonna know this one, but um, all right, let's try the um, seeker's name, please. The seeker is Bet Porter. B-E-T-T-E, yeah. Yep. Bet Porter. <sighs> well, we haven't had one yet, so... If if you know it, you're going to know it from your recap editing, probably. Yeah, oh, no. she, that wasn't on her team. It was on so her. this is Benson, and he ends up with um, the governor. Okay, you <laughs> are totally correct. Three. Yeah. Tara, do you know what it is? Sounds like you might. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think we covered it on TWAP. It's the it's the L word, right? But I don't oh, know no, where she... We, yes, shit. We totally did. Yeah, we did. It's oh. Jennifer Beals, right? Yeah. God damn and, it. Uh, we're looking for Tina. Tina is the princess. Tatara, Smith Frank, Grayson mm-hmm. Ellis, and Wade. Mm, show. 
Cougar Town. Um, Lori? Okay. And she ends up with Travis. (laughs) You are correct. Two points. Bobby. Daniel Grayson. Aiden Mathis, our third Aiden of the show. Ben Hunter. Daniel Grayson, Aiden Mathis, Ben Hunter. Sarah is cursing picky right now. Oh my God. So bad. Any idea there, Bobby? Mm. Nope. Can I ask for the show, the seeker, or the prince princess as a clue? I'll have the show. The show is revenge. Uh, The only thing. The only name I can follow that with is Emily Van Camp, and I know that's not a character name. Just, so. just, just start that answer, but stop after the first first name. <laughs> Emily. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and Emily ended up with. Want to throw out a name? Van? Is there someone named Van? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I feel like Jack is Van adjacent in the larger scheme of things. Oh Jesus, that. Okay. Okay. Sarah D. Bunting, Jill Roberts, Lou Palone. Hana. Um, let's try the mate this time. Okay. Uh, the mate is Sarah Walker. Sarah Walker. Is this brothers and sisters? We already have brothers and sisters, and I, okay. I'll let you know that we're, that will not be. All right, oh. so there's no repeats. Okay. Um, oh, I'm going to be so mad, but I don't know. Sorry. Sarah D. Bunting, put down that delicious Subway sub and get ready for the answer of Chuck and Chuck. Oh, yes. Okay. Tara Ariana. Yeah. Your frogs, Gloria, mm-hmm. Shirley Feeney, Leather mm-hmm. Tuscadero. Mm, happy days. That was happy days. No, <laughs> they weren't all happy days. Okay. The Fonz. Shit. So now you have to make an assumption and then go off the assumption for your prince or princess. Joni? Mm. Shit. <laughs> All right. You got one point for happy days. We were looking for Richie Cunningham, who oh. ended up with Lori Beth at the end of sure. all things. Let's Bobby Finger. Here Russell Corwin. Okay. Billy Chenoweth. Gabriel Damas. I'll take the show name, please. The show is Six Feet Under. And that's where I leave you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Sarah knows. Anybody? Wait, who was it again? What were the names again? Billy Chenoweth was one of them. Oh, um, it's Claire. It is Claire. Who ended up with, remember? It was Chris Messina again, but I don't Ted. remember his character yeah, name. Ted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah, Sarah D. Bunting. Yeah. Mark Kearney. Abe Drexler. Duck <laughs> Phillips. There we go. Duck Phillips. Okay. Ah. Thank you, Duck. Ew, I forgot about that. Girl, what mm. are you doing? Uh, this is Mad Men. It's Peggy. And she ends up with <gasps> Stan. And Thank God for the oh, sweet Dan. three points. All right. Everybody has one question left. So Tara, can I quickly get the scores? No, I'm thinking about Stan. Now. Um, Bobby has five points. Sarah has 21 points. I have 25. All right. So 21 to 25. All right. Here we go. Tara, 
Yeah. Um, the game's already cinched, so I'm going to flip these questions around for the enjoyment of everybody. Okay. Tara. David the yeah. scientist, Roger the psychologist, mm-hmm. or and mm-hmm. Gary the cop? Uh, that's friends. It's Phoebe. And she ends up with Mike. Mike. What's his last name? Hannigan. Oh, very well. So he Three is points. also a cop. <laughs> All right. Bobby. Bobby. This is worth 20 points. Get ready. <laughs> Stan Zabornak. Oh, wow. Glenn O'Brien. Mr. Malcolm Gordon. Golden Girls. They're vying for Dorothy's attention. And she gets Glenn O'Brien. Is it not? Glenn O'Brien is not his name. It's Leslie Nielsen. Doctor? It is Lucas Hollingsworth. Lucas Hollingsworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got your two points there. All right. Last question of the game for Sarah D. Bunting. Drake Holloway, Justin Bell, Lowell Tracy. Whose enjoyment is this for? Well... (laughs) everyone else's you just got the leftovers um, i'm gonna be honest with you <laughs> yeah I, uh-huh um so it's the leftovers just okay, kidding it's, um, it's, it's a show, show that please? just it's a show that just wrapped up tara watched it but now it's she just asked for the show i know the show oh uh, i don't remember zombie no it's a live, <laughs> live more live up more with major all right that's the end of regulation tara Good please the scores uh, Bobby finished with seven points. Sarah had 21. I had 28. All right. So well done, Tara, Tara takes it. Thank we you. have a couple extra questions I was saving in case we had some massive tiebreaker at the end of the game. So I have two here, which we'll give some steel meals away from. As soon as you know the answer, anybody on the uh, game today, shout it out. Uh, we'll just take, um, we'll just take any of the answers. Okay. Nate Archibald, Dan Humphrey, Lord Marcus Beaton. Nate Archibald. Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl is correct. Nice. Our second and last GML opportunity. Stella Zinman, Victoria or Karen? How I Met Your Mother. You are correct. You got both of them, Tara. You're rich with steel meals. Rich, I tells you. Congratulations, Tara. Well played, job, Tara. everybody. Thank you. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We reconstructed our feelings about HGTV's A Very Brady Renovation before going around the dial with stops at The Deuce, Money Heist, Ken Burns Country Music, and Joe Para Talks with you, to you. With. With you. Caroline asks us to list the memeable shows that deserve more recognition, and Bobby successfully pitched Enlightens the Weekend for the canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Tara was the winner of this week's game time. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, Bastard, 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 Sarah D. Bunting. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> and Bobby Finger. Boo. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on Extra. Not great.
So you're telling us that there has been an ongoing war in North America for nearly 60 years between Canadian humans and rats. And nobody's even talking about it. It's crazy, right? 